Tonight, as we announced last week, we're going to finish up our study on 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's where we plan to go tonight. We're going to do a quick review of verse 15. So we can catch up and be where we were at the end of last week. It's taken a week and in a week's time people forget. So we're going to help get us there. Then we're going to look at what the world is in 1 John. And we're going to finish it out with what the worldly, what worldliness results in. So let's get started. Please feel free to ask questions. If you don't understand something or if you just want to make some comments, that would be fantastic. It makes the class a lot fun, a lot more fun and, and a lot more interesting. Verse 15. We notice that there were two worlds mentioned in the Bible. Uh, my favorite way of understanding this comes from a, a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Now Hobbes is one of these, Calvin's one of these guys that, that continually thinks up daydreams. And he's daydreaming that he is in a fighter plane, tail gunner, ready, and the pilot shouts back, enemy planes, two o'clock. And he doesn't hear any fire coming, so he yells back, enemy planes, two o'clock. He says, got it, but what are we going to do till then? It's two words, but they got them all messed up. The pilot meant, look that side. And Hobbes heard it was a point of time, that you had all the time in the world. That's what happens when you talk about world in the Bible. There are two very different meanings. First, we, the one we're studying, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does John mean by in the world in this verse? Before we answer that, let's get this verse, which the same writer writes in his gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, there's two different uses. So how do the words differ? What do you see different about the two passages, the one in 1 John and the one in John 3? So, and in John 3, it's 
it's talking about what God created, uh, especially his creation of mankind. And he, that is what Jesus died for, to save that world. Very good. Very good. He saved the world. If you remember the creation story, God does it in stages. It takes him six days to make the heavens and the earth. And after each stage, he says, that's good. So you get into John and he starts referring to an attitude that the world is all there is. And that you don't need God and his rules to get the most out of it. We think if we get the most out of the world, our lives will be fulfilling. So the use of the word world in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 is talking about a value system. It's a, a value system under Satan's control, which tempts us to get away from God and stop depending on him and do our own thing. Hey, Mike. Let me jump in there. The world kind of takes on the same connotation in both of them in that sense because it's, it's what's not God. So God sent his only son to save those who are not in his kingdom. And in the same thing here is we're getting away from the values and stuff of what's not God's kingdom. So the word's Right there, and they kind of intersect a little bit. Although they have different meanings going out, they do kind of intersect in some form. Okay, good. Thank you. If you go back into 1 Timothy 4, I, I think we're going to be close here to what Doug just said. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received by th with thanksgiving. It was made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, this is David Allen. He's a commentator, and he paraphrases it this way. No created thing is wrong or bad or defiling in itself, but it's the use of those things that defiles us. I think that's as clear as you can get on what it's teaching in 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. There are three typical features of the sinful world and why they're so evil to God. This is my commentary. Uh, our world teaches you only go around once in life, so you grab all the gusto you can. You make a statement that in this world, you've got to get it all. Because you're not going to have a second chance to get what you missed. Or this one has been recently... They're going to remember you. You're going to be so unique and so different and so good that people are just going to remember you. 
why are the things of the world so enticing to us? No hands going up. Okay, Sue. I think one of the reasons is that those who are around us seem to be enjoying the things of the world and our social media, TV, <coughs> makes it look enticing. Um, but you know, this was true before TV and before social media. Um, there's something within us that, like Eve, wanted, wants more. I mean, she, from the very beginning, wasn't satisfied with what God gave her in the garden, and she wanted more. Yeah, that desire to want more and more. Steve. Matt Robinson tunes in online. He says the desires of the flesh are connected to the culture of the world. Oh, that's very good. Thank you, Matt. And I guess I'll tune in too. Since, since it's Satan that controls that, he's the tempter, he's the deceiver. You know, if, if you call tune it in like fishing, that's his tackle box. He throws that lure out there to drag you, to snag that hook in your lip and drag you in. So he, he designed it exactly that way. Oh, we got one more comment from Raina. These things seemingly offer instant gratification, and we see a lot of that in the world today. Is that instant gratification is what people are after. Thanks, yeah. Raina. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. It is things like your body, sex, works, money, which are value, but they're just not value. They're the, the pinnacle. They're everything that your life is about. Do you remember a couple weeks ago the lottery hit a billion dollars? Whoever won the lottery, it was worth a billion dollars. I had a lady knock on my office door and asked if the church paid electric bills. So I asked her to come in. I wanted to get to know her. And then I asked her why she didn't have enough money to pay her electric bill. She had spent all of her money buying lottery tickets. She, she could win the billion dollars. If she had a billion dollars, she would be set. And that's basically the, the point that they're making. The rich in this present world charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So is it wrong to be rich? Is it bad to be rich? No, nope. never says that in the Bible. That it's bad to be rich. It does say if you're just counting on your money 
to do what you want to do and be what you want to be, then it can become bad. But being rich doesn't ever, is not ever condemned. Sue. Well, I think in this scripture here, God is making it very clear that it, God gives us everything we have, whether we're rich or not so rich. And if we are rich, he expects us, like if we're not so rich, to use it for good, to help others. Uh, but especially if you are rich, it's kind of like the, the poor man that was sitting begging at, at the rich man's door and he gave him nothing to eat. You know, that's wrong. But if you use it wisely to help other people, then you, it's good. Yeah. The beggar would have been happy from, with crumbs from his table. And he didn't even give him that. Okay. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I like the way and the Amplified clears it up for us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but they're from the world itself. The Greek word is epimetheia. And what it literally means is over-desire. It means you, you've got a desire for it, but it is running wild. It is the thing that you have. Uh, so when we're talking about over-desire of the body, of the flesh, we're talking about over-desire of the eye. We're talking about an over-desire of the ego or pride. So... What is the love? What does the world? Love, world what does the love of the world mean in First John chapter two? It's not just an ordinary desire; it's an overly desire, and that's very important. Uh, let's look at food and drink for a second, and then play and leisure. We'll just sort of hit these and go. Is food or drink bad? Well, you have to eat and drink if you're going to live. You can't just say, I'm giving up food and I'm giving up liquids and that's, that's that. You won't make it long if you do that. So no, they're not bad. What about those who live to eat? That's the only thing they think of. And they're eating all the time. It's, it's a progressive thing. It's not they're hungry. It's that, that something else is driving it. We've learned in psychology that people who have eating disorders are trying to fix something in their life by eating food. Let's see if I can give you a quick 
example. You've had a bad day at the office. You're down. You're, oh, it, nothing went right. And so you come home and you get out the two gallons of Rocky Road ice cream and you eat the whole thing. Well, chocolate gives you a lift. The sugar gives you a lift. It seems to be the right thing to do. But your body will rebel if you do it too much. Sometimes there's a scarcity. You want to stay skinny with the slim figure you had when you were a teenager. So you don't eat. Or if you eat it, you find a way to get around it, whether it's laxatives or another way. So eating disorders and other things say, that's not good. Steve. We got another comment from Raina online. She says she was a musician in a denominational church for 30 years and saw many worldly attributes in worship service. Worship became a performance. It was a high, a feel-good experience. Plus, it was a source of pride as well as an opportunity to show off. Yeah, can so be. Even something like that, something that we consider what could possibly be wrong with worshiping God becomes very worldly in that aspect. Sure can. Sure can. Okay. What about play and leisure? Is play and leisure wrong? No, they're good. They are good. Uh, you can't work all the time or you go into a depression. You got to have some outlet to let, let go of the stress. So playing leisure aren't bad. They're good. But what if you play too much or you have too much leisure? Then it can be bad. There are those people who live for the weekend. And the closer they get to the weekend, the more they just slack off at work. That's why Wednesday's hump day. You're coming closer to the weekend where you can have play and, and do. If you leave, play too much, you don't go to work because you don't want to go to work. You want to play. Or if you leisure too much, you're just tired of going to work so you don't go. There is a psychological study out that says this is becoming a major problem for businesses. From, nine, from 2017 to 2018, this kind of interference in the business world went up 6%. From 2017 to 2018, from 2018 to 2019, it jumped over 20%. And by 2020, 20% of all businesses says it became a major problem for them. Now, if you're talking about 20% of our business world, that's a lot of business. So it's becoming more and more. I just said that. Let's talk about the pride of life. Uh, this is from C.S. Lewis. He was a major source on this 
particular passage. I really think the book ought to be the official first book you read as a Christian. It's that fundamental and that good. But he writes this on the pride of life. He talks about what the pride of life is, is a basic need for applause or boasting, being one up on somebody else. He talks about it's a power thing. I want it my way. My way is the best way. Nobody else can do it like I do. This is what he says. The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed at someone else being the big noise. Two of a tray never agree. Now, what I want you to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure of having some, something only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are only proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. That's why I say that pride is essentially competitive in a way that the other vices are not. Where I preached before coming here, there was a a hill where the church was and it went down into a valley and in the valley were some very nice homes. Uh, doctors built homes there. We had several pro sports people who built homes there. People who owned pro teams had homes there. And my daughter got invited to a party down in the valley where the rich homes go. And I told her, I, I will take you and I will come get you. So I took them and the home that we were in, I've never been outside one that was prettier. It was very nice. And Michelle called and said, we're ready to come home. So I went over, got her to take her home. And I said, really nice house. She said, yeah, but they don't have any furniture. I said, what? You can't have a house like this and not have furniture. She says, no, they have beds to sleep in, but they don't have enough money to buy furniture yet. So they didn't have TV, 
they didn't have computers. They had a home like everybody else's. They could say they lived down in the valley where all those rich people live. It was a come see our house and how nice it is. People will go to the extremes. Okay, so how can we stop, how can we guard against adopting the values of the world? I'll take a hit on that one. Okay. It's kind of like the old school TVs. It's the direction you turn your antenna, the way you set your rabbit ears, as you select the, you know, you're going to watch channel 13, you're going to watch channel 2. You're watching the wrong channel, that's where you're going to get your values. So it's the same kind of thing. You know, the digital world, you know, you pick your website. But you looking at the values of the world, or are you looking towards the values of God, the one you watch the most, the one you turn your life into, that's the one that you'll adopt. Great, great comment. Part of it is making sure you're spending time every day in God's Word. So spending time every day in God's Word will help you to guard against yeah, the values of the world. You're, you're like Doug was saying, you're, you, you're tuning in to the Bible, to God's Word, as opposed to what you're being fed out here. Okay, good, good. What are so practical ways to overcome these kind of desires or temptations? Don. Learn to be content with what we have. Learn to be content with what we have. That's a great answer. Fantastic. Open your eyes to where people that have gone down this road ahead of you end up. Okay, open your eyes and look at people who have gone down this road and see where they've ended up. Yes. I, I, when you, you, you see where it leads to. Um, the unhappiness. Uh, yeah. Okay, very good. I like what Sue said on that, where it leads to. The, those verses point towards that. You follow the desires of the world. The world's going away. It's going to end. But if you follow the desires, the will of God, the love of God, it never ends. So, you know, like, like Sue says, look down the road. I mean, I got teenagers that have... As we try to work with Jamie, learn how to drive. Don't look at the car in front of you. Look at the car's 10 in front of that one or down at the light. Uh -huh. Same thing. If you're looking at that path, one of them's dead end. That's just, that's your answer. So follow the good long path. Good. And that's what verse 17 is saying. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This one takes a little explanation because of the way it's written in the original language. He's not talking about one day these things are going to pass away. He says it's a continual state of passing away. Now I tried to come up with some ideas of how you could do this. The guy who buys the nice car so everybody could ooh and ah at his car. Next year 
He's not going to have people ooing and on at his car because there's something newer that they can ooh and ah at. Or the person who buys the real nice house. Give it five to ten years down the road and you are repairing the nice house. Because the weather wears on it. The sun wears on it. And all of a sudden, that nice thing that you thought would be impressive to everybody, they're not too impressed with. He's talking about as things pass away. And what occurred to me as I was thinking about this is value change. When I was in my 20s, I had a set of values that abruptly changed when I was 27. We had a daughter. And all of a sudden, this freedom that I had to run around and do things, and we didn't have to stay at home at night, and we got around the teenagers, a small church we were at, so we did the teenagers and the, the adults, and we did a lot with the teenagers and a lot with the adults, and then we had the little kids a couple nights a week, and when we got a daughter, that all came to a halt. Because now we had somebody else to take care of. And her needs became primary in our lives. Then I got into my 30s and things changed again. You had to be a little more mature. You were hitting a little harder problems. People weren't always expecting you to do what you used to do. And then you hit your 50s and things change again. And your values change. It's a constant eroding away of what you thought was going to make you different. Or what was going to make you significant. And it says if you go this way, you're going to wake up one day and say, is this all there is? I thought there'd be more. So that's what it's talking about, passing away. It's not permanent. It's not permanent at all. And sometimes that becomes very, very obvious. My mom, whenever I go north, she sits down and she wants to know how much I'm making that year. And I, I won't tell her. She says, well, I'll bet you it's more than I made whenever I was in the work world. And she's right. She's right, as each generation changed, so does the pay scale. But when it comes to the will of God, that never changes. You put your will in his hands and you do what he's asking you, and that makes the difference. Okay. So what's the ultimate fate of the world and its lusts? It's all gone away. Good answer. It's not going to be here permanently. And how should this truth cause us to respond to the temptations we face day in and day out?
We shouldn't be so focused on moments, momentary satisfaction. We should be um, more focused on the eternal path that we're on. I mean, I was going to say earlier to one of your questions that there's kind of two types of people in the world. There's the type of people that have to try things and experience things to learn, and there's the people who can look at other people and learn from them. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the people who can look at other people and learn from them, just like Sue was saying, look for the good results that you want. Copy the people who are getting the results that you want. For the people who have to learn, which is probably more like me, better make sure you learn from your mistakes, you know? And, and realize that those, a lot of those mistakes came from seeking something in the moment, not focusing on the eternal. Very good. Thank you, Matt. mentioned learning from your mistakes and 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 that's so true you know we need to learn from our mistakes uh, but even wiser is God gave us a, a, a road map and if we follow that we are not going to make mistakes and some mistakes you can't go back you cheat on your husband and he leaves and you've got a family destroyed. Uh, you uh, steal from your boss and you wind up in jail and you, you know, your life, you've got a felony record and you, you've got that against you all your life. Mm -hmm. uh, you get into the drug scene and you get addicted and it's almost impossible to walk away can be very hard. So it's, it, it's, God tries to save us by giving us direction. Yeah. Okay, very good. That if we use God's where we don't have to, to make the mistakes, we, we can steer clear of them. Very good. Thank you. The, the other thing I was going to say was this lesson to me is so much about surrender because so much of the temptation that we face is based on our own desires um, that we know are not from God. The world is not from God. The world was created by God, but it's not from God because somebody deceived us and took it over, so to speak. The Lord is allowed Satan to be, at least according to scripture, the prince of the earth, right? So those desires that we face are from ourselves. They're from our own human, um, our, our humanity, our, our, our flesh, our, the, the ways of the world. That's where those desires come from. So really, there are some that we can learn from. There are some that we can um, experience. And then there are some that we just have to surrender to God. And that's the only way we're going to be able to to face those temptations day in and day out and not fall back into the snare. Uh-huh. Very good. Thank you. Okay, let's wind it down with an announcement. Next week, we're going to start at the book of James on Wednesday night. Uh, we're making some changes, and we're going to open up the church a little bit. 
and there are going to be a bunch of people who haven't been in First and First John. So we're going to be studying on Wednesday night the book of James. On Sunday we'll continue through the book of First John, but on Wednesday we'll be talking about the most basic book of Christianity there is. I don't think you can get better to know what's happening than the book of James. So tune in next week as we start talking about the nuts and bolts of Christian living from the book of James. I think you'll enjoy it. I've enjoyed going through 1 John with you. And I hope that uh, you come back on Sundays and hear the rest of 1 John. I think it'll benefit you. We have a lot of good stuff to talk about in the coming weeks.